we had an Ash Wednesday service in here, a beautiful service on Wednesday. And as part of the service, Brandon um, said something I just love. He goes, welcome to Lent. This is a part of the welcome to Lent, a time where we really press into the life of Jesus. And certainly one of the things that marked his life was a compassion for the poor and a love for kids. Well, we're going to now turn a corner here and we're going to look at another facet of the diamond, the Lent diamond, and that is to really press into the scriptures. And so we're going to do that now. So would you please join with me as we, as we turn that corner? Father, certainly even as I word, use the words turn the corner, it's all related. Your scriptures teach us how to live and they teach us about you and they're living. They do more than teach us. They bring us in and they can literally change us. So Father, we pray that you give us ears to hear now and hearts that are open to respond so that we could hear from you. We'd have those ears to hear and we could, we could meet you in these words. Father, we pray for those who have been in the scriptures deep. We pray that you would, Holy Spirit, speak to them today. Help them to apply what we're looking at to their lives or to remind them of the glory of who you are. For those who are not familiar with the Bible at all, Lord, we pray that this would be a helpful day for them, that they'd give a little better understanding of who you are and, and, and what is revealed in, in the scriptures. And for those of us who are somewhere in between, Father, we, we pray that, that all of us would come away having been uh, touched by you today through your word. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Well, the text that we're going to be focusing on during Lent is called the book of Hebrews. It's a real first century letter. We're going to be digging into that. And it's been so fun. As soon as we announced that Hebrews is the book of the Bible that we're going to be going into in Lent, a whole bunch of you came up and said, I'm so excited for that. This is a really interesting book. In fact, I can't think of a book of a Bible that does a better job of linking the Old and New Testaments. It's a fantastic journey that we're going to be journeying into today. And so let's begin. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And I love starting a series like that. Let's open up our Bibles to the beginning of the book and start with verse one. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, we keep a stack of them at the table each and every week, and it looks like it's a small stack now today, which I love. I love that. I love that our big stack becomes small. So please take one on your way out. If they run out, we'll make sure that we get you one. Just let us know. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this, and we'll read through verse 3 and hit pause. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All right, if you're a note taker, let's get going. Pull out your purple sheet. The inserts are purple for Lent here. And I encourage you to write this down. In these last days, God has spoken to us through whom? His son. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Now that is a loaded phrase. And this loaded phrase is one of the keys to understanding the book of Hebrews. Because God has been speaking to humanity from the beginning of time. He spoke through to humanity through his creation, the creation itself. He's spoken through these heavenly messengers called angels. He's spoken through godly leaders like Moses. He's spoken through his priests. And the Hebrew, author of Hebrews reminds us that in the fullness of time, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. 
And it's interesting the contrast that this author of Hebrews starts to make here. In fact, uh, this uh, book uses a word that we translate as better more times in this one letter than in all the rest of the New Testament combined. There are some comparisons being made here by this author. The word that we translate, the Greek word that we translate as better, is used in Hebrews alone more times than in all of the rest of the New Testament combined. Clusters of the words better and more and greater appear all together, and they're used about 25 times in this one letter. And in those comparisons, Jesus is not presented as simply another deity or supernatural being. The author of Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus is above the angels. And we're going to press into that next week. And we also see the, the author making this case. He goes, Jesus is not just another great man. And he lists the greatest man that those people would have thought of at that time, Moses. And they say, Jesus is greater than Moses. And Jesus of Nazareth isn't presented as just another mediator, just another priest between people and God. Hebrews makes the case that Jesus is the perfect priest. And Brandon's going to help us explore that in three weeks. Well, the author of Hebrews, he wants to unveil the majesty of the Messiah. And if you're not familiar with that word, Messiah is a Hebrew word that translates roughly into the anointed one. The anointed one. One of the things the author wants to do is to pull back the curtains on this anointed one and to connect the Old Testament with the new revelations that we see through Jesus. And so, here's a few examples of these Old Testament practices and beliefs that the author of Hebrews connects to the things that was happening through Jesus. So here's some examples surrounding this concept of a curtain. In Hebrews 6.19, we read that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And then in Hebrews 9.3, we read behind a second curtain, or behind, behind a second curtain was me repeating myself, or a second section, there we go. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. And then in Hebrews 10, 19 through 20, we read this, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. These are just a few examples from Hebrew of how Hebrews draws from Jewish history and connects to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And in this case, what he's doing here is he's talking about this, referencing this curtain. There was a curtain in the back. They had this, this, this tent of meeting called a tabernacle. And there was this curtain that separated the holiest place from a holy place. And here, the Hebrew author is saying, I'm going to give you a glimpse behind this curtain. We're going to pull back the curtain. And then Hebrews reminds readers that this is more than just me giving you insights into this behind the curtain thing. I don't know if I can put words to this, but he's also making the case that it's Jesus himself, his death and resurrection that opened this possibility to us to see inside and to draw into God's holy presence. Straight up says this in Hebrews 4.16. Look at this. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Now, one of the reasons we want to encourage you to dig into Hebrews is because as you dig into Hebrews, you're going to see that they recount the Old Testament history. And so there was this mountain that Moses and the people came to. And on this mountain, you couldn't even go close to it. If you touched the mountain, what happened to you? Those of you who know, you died. 
And now Hebrews is saying, this curtain's been thrown open. This access to God's been thrown open. We can approach the throne of grace with what? With confidence. So there are some things that, that Hebrews is doing to try to open and, and our minds and our eyes and to, to, to throw back this curtain. And even as I'm reflecting on these things, I don't know if I can put this into words either, but this thought came into my head as I was thinking about world leaders, as I was thinking about world religions, even as I was thinking about a lot of different religious institutions. Pulling back the curtain is the last thing they want to do. Isn't that true? There are a lot of religions, they don't want you to see their history. There's a lot of institutions, they don't want you to see the inner workings. There's a lot of leaders and leadership teams, they don't want to open up their lives. They want to keep everything at a distance and have the image. And Hebrews invites us in to really understand, to say, let's unveil, here's who Jesus is. Here's who he is. And not only that, there's challenges in Hebrews for us, aren't there? For our lives behind the curtain. How many of you read Hebrews before? Are we going to get some challenges in chapters 11 and 12? There are these challenges in Hebrews to live this life of integrity that is the same person behind the curtain that the world sees. So there is this, all kinds of things happening in this book. You ever seen the movie The Wizard of Oz? What do they say about ignore the man behind the curtain? Hebrews is like, we want to show you the man behind the curtain because he's more than a man. And not only that, we want to have us throw open our lives so that we have these lives that are fully integrated into the life of Jesus. So this is what the world could see. The author of Hebrews believes that if we see Jesus for who he really is, it will result in a faith that is unshakable, regardless of the challenges that come our way in this broken world. Now, there's a whole lot of mysteries surrounding the book of Hebrews, including who the author is. But one of the things that all of my sources agreed on was that this was a letter that was written to followers of Jesus who were facing tests and facing trials and facing challenges that threaten their faith. Here's some examples of just some sections where this theme is woven into. Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 5, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12. They all have these big sections where they're saying, hold on, you guys. Hold on. Hold on. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Here's a direct quote from Hebrews 12, 4 that that addresses this theme. An example of what I'm saying here. In your struggle against sin... You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So you have insights to say there's these struggles going on, there's these temptations that are going on, and it says you've not yet reached the point of shedding your blood. That yet is key. That yet is key. Because that day was coming really, really soon for them. Really, really soon for them. The sources that I looked at this week were, were all sources that believe that the Bible is truly is the inspired word of God, that this truly was a first century letter. And all of the sources that I looked at that believe that foundational um, point, all of them said that this book was written probably between the years 60 and 70 AD. And that is a significant time of trials and testing and challenges. Because at that time, the Roman emperor Nero was on the throne. Have you ever heard of Nero? He was not a fan of the Christian movement, was he? And when Rome caught on fire, right during this period of time in the year 64, who did Nero blame? Christians. 
and he executed countless Christians. It was also during this period of time between 60 and 70 AD when, when leaders of the Christian movement like Peter and Paul were killed for their faith. It was also during this time that the Jews revolted against Rome in the year 66 and Rome responded by laying siege to Jerusalem and even leveling the temple in the year 70 AD. Hebrews appears to have been written, at least in part, to prepare the followers of Jesus for what was to come. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. It's coming. It's coming. And the author was convinced that the more that we understand about Christ, the more we throw back this curtain, the more we're going to see he is worthy of our faith, he is worthy of our trust, and there is no more secure foundation in heaven or earth than putting your faith in Jesus of Nazareth. Well, if I had to pick one theme verse for this series, this would be it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. If I, if I could think of any verse that really summarizes this series, it would be this. Let's leave behind the elementary. Let us leave behind the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to what? Maturity. Let's go on to maturity. There's an invitation here. It's an invitation that countless people in the United States, in Mexico, all around the world, every continent, every generation, that people have responded to this invitation, this invitation to go deeper. Here's what the author writes in his lead-in to this invitation. This is starting in chapter 5, verse 11. The author writes this. He goes, okay, about all this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become so dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. One of the things the author does here, among many, is he gives some benchmarks. He says, okay, here's where you're at, as best I understand it. Here's where you're at. He said, you've already received teachings about elementary doctrines of Christ. You've already received instructions about religious washings. You've already received instructions on the laying on of hands. You've already had these teachings about eternal judgment. It's time to move on. It's time to move on from there. And even as I was reflecting on those things and and what was most likely meant by those things, I was thinking, you know, there's a whole lot of us. We're not to that benchmark yet. There's a lot of things I love about our church, and one of them is that we have people that are at all kinds of places on this journey. I think that is so good. That is so healthy. And we have a whole lot of people who've moved beyond those benchmarks, and we have a whole lot of people who are just learning about Christianity for the first time. We have had people come to our church, and they've they've taken one of the Bibles, and they've come up, and one person in particular said, okay, this book has a lot of numbers in it. What, What do these numbers mean? And I love that. I love that people are honest in exploring this Christian faith. But we have a whole lot of people that aren't at those benchmarks. I think about the benchmark of the doctrine of Christ. You could say doctrines of Christ. 
how he was both God and man. There's a whole lot of folks who, who don't know about these things. That Jesus of Christ was both God and man. How we believe his death, one death, atoned for the sins of the whole world. How he, was, he embodied both grace and truth. How he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. There's a whole lot of people that that's not where they're at on that benchmark. There's also people who don't understand what does it mean to repent from dead works. There's a lot of people who approach Christianity as a religion. And it technically can qualify as that. But that's not how it was meant to be experienced. It was meant to be experienced as a real relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. And there's people that don't understand that. And they focus on, well, this is what I have to do, you know, rather than uh, this, this ongoing dynamic relationship. There are those who've not received real instruction about baptism. A lot of scholars believe that's what they're talking about, with these washings, contrasting Jewish washings from Christian baptism. And there's many of us, we've seen either a believer baptism or an infant baptism, but we haven't really dug into deep teaching on why you would choose one or the other or any of them at all. I would imagine that there's very few people who regularly engage what it says here about laying on of hands. That isn't something that just pastors are supposed to do. That's something we're all called to do. This idea of laying on of hands for those who are sick. Laying on of hands as we commission. Laying on of hands that people may receive the Holy Spirit. Laying on of hands. All these different aspects of laying on of hands. What that even means. There's many who hold beliefs about resurrection and eternal judgment that aren't at line with the teachings of Jesus himself, including the understanding that there will be no judgment. When Jesus truly and clearly taught that there will be. So we have all of these benchmarks that Hebrews establishes, and we have a whole lot of our church family that, that that's not where they're at yet. And it's our hope for the series that regardless of where you're at in the journey, that you'll take another step forward. In fact, that's this next talk point that we have in, in your notes here is this authentic Christianity continually challenges our minds and changes our lives. Can I get an amen to that? It continually challenges our minds. It continually changes our, mind, our lives. This is a, a thing that in different words, different phrases, we come back to about what, every three weeks, right? <laughs> that if you think you've leveled off, if you think you've hit it, that is the most dangerous place to be. People that think they've arrived in their faith. One of the resources I want to point you to this Lent, if at home, a great resource for you to, to consider picking up. You can get it on Amazon. This little book called Hebrews for Everyone by N.T. Wright, it'd be a great resource to read during, during Lent. He takes the scriptures, puts a little piece of it, and then he unpacks some, some thoughts around it. How many have read part of this? At least a lot of you. It's a great one. So that might be one resource to look at. Well, one of the things he does in his book he talks about the difference between foosball and soccer as he's talking about these things. As he's talking about Christian maturity, he says a lot of times they, people mistake their faith, their foosball faith, for soccer faith. You know? And this is coming from a guy, an English scholar, right? He loves his soccer. Foosball faith will not hold up in times of trial. Isn't that true? Because one of the aspects of, of some people's foosball faith is if something bad happens to me, there can't be a God. That's foosball faith. Hebrews takes us so much deeper than that. In fact, one of the challenges in Hebrews is you have all of these people who are willing to sacrifice it all for the faith. So what was it that they discovered about Jesus? 
is one of the many things you explore when you come into the faith. This whole idea of going deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, these, these things that I've seen time and time again with people when you start to let pride come in is really captured by this quote that I came across during my, my prep. And this is not a typo. That's, that's the name of this person. And they said this, it's not so much what we don't know, but what we do know that obstructs our vision. Isn't that good? And isn't that true in like every aspect of life? That it's often what we do know that obstructs our vision the most. I can't think of anything, offhand anyway, that's going to keep you from becoming more like Jesus than pride or self-confidence. I can't think of anything that's going to come. Hell itself. I can't think of anything that will, will come between you and a growing relationship with Jesus like pride and self-confidence. And again, just putting this in the real-life terms, going with uh, N.T. Wright's imagery of, of foosball and soccer. I'm coaching soccer again this year. Here's a photo of my team from last... Well, Cam and my team from last year. There's our Panthers. Um, and, and I was thinking about my introduction to soccer. I had a foosball table in the, in the basement growing up, but I had no knowledge of soccer at all. A kid from Hastings. I mean, soccer, we didn't, we didn't have that, right? So I knew almost nothing about soccer when my wife, Laura, graciously volunteered me to coach <laughs> my daughter's team. So the greatest asset that I could bring, I actually had two assets. One of them was humility coupled with a desire to grow and become the best I could be for these girls. You put those things together that's a pretty good asset in life, isn't it? Humility with a desire to grow. The greatest asset that you can bring to foosball, the greatest asset that you can bring to soccer as a player or a coach, the greatest asset that you can bring to your job, the greatest asset you can bring to your marriage, the greatest asset that you could bring to your parenting, the greatest asset that you could bring to life and to faith is humility coupled with a desire to learn and grow. And I think how easy it is for us to get pride, even at an early age when it comes to faith. And some of you heard me tell the story before of one Easter Eve. One Easter Eve when I was a kid, true story, I was sitting on the couch watching TV, and it was the 80s probably, or so it's probably A-Team, or Battlestar Galactica, or Cosby Show, or what was the other one? Knight Rider. It's one of these awesome shows, right? totally rad shows. So I'm watching one of these shows and you couldn't hit pause back in the day. In fact, you didn't have a clicker back in the day. You literally had to go up and turn these dials on these TV. So my mom comes in and so I'm pretty, you know, irritated as it is because mom's interrupting my viewing of these shows. And so I'm watching TV. My mom comes in and she says, all right, Chris, remember you got to get to bed early tonight because it's Easter breakfast tomorrow. We got to get up and help with the Easter breakfast. And oh, I was mad. I was so mad. Because I'm like, Mom, I only get one day to sleep in past 6 o'clock. And I got to get up. But the other thing that really made me mad, and I thought this was a great point as this little kid. I said, Mom, tomorrow's Easter. And I already know what happens anyway. I know the story. <laughs> so I was helping with the Easter breakfast <laughs> next morning. And I was helping with cleanup. And I was helping with a whole lot of things after that. Here I am, this little kid. I know the story. I knew this much of the story. 
Because it is a story that you never get to the bottom of that well, do you? It is a deep, deep, deep well. And four decades later, this almost 50-year-old continues to learn. And the more I learn, the more I see that I've got to learn in every area of my life. And not just the head stuff, but the character stuff to become more and more and more like Christ. Well, I've got one last blank for us this morning, and here it is. It's the same invitation that I believe Hebrews offers to us, only in different words. We invite you to level up with us this Lent. To level up wherever you are in your faith. To take another step forward. And part of that is to join us on Sundays. Hebrews is the book of the Bible where we find this passage. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. One of the pastor's favorite verses. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting meeting together. As is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. We invite you to join us as together we come together. And join our voices together with songs. That have these themes. And to open up the scriptures together. And, and to explore them together. And also, again at home, to be reading the same scripture together and thinking about it, reflecting on it, and processing it. If you're brand new to Hebrews, in addition to N.T. Wright, I'll, I put a link in last week's ECC mail. I'll try to remember to put that link in this week's too. A great little link to an eight-minute video that gives a great overview of Hebrews that someone sent my way. But again, remember that reflecting on scriptures, that's just one facet of the Lent diamond. We want you to have the whole Lent experience giving to the poor. Hebrews also says this, Hebrews 13, 16, as you're considering doing fast, look at this. Do not neglect to do good and to what? Share what you have. Don't neglect to do good and share what you have because look what it says about that. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Fasting has great value, but the, sa- the, the, sa- the sacrifices that are really pleasing to God really pleasing to God, the sacrifices involve doing good, doing good and sharing what you have. So we want to encourage you to press into that. And there's all kinds of practices associated with Lent. We're going to try to remember to get an insert in your bulletin next week that describes some of them. Going deeper in prayer, going into fasting, repentance, some of these things. And if you have questions about any of those, Brandon has every answer there is for you. So, no, we would humbly be honored to help you talk about some of these kind of things. Brandon, myself, Jason, any of us, we'd love to help. To help equip you with practices that Jesus practiced. And one of these practices that can be traced all the way back to Jesus last night with his disciples is a practice called Holy Communion. And at this time, I want to invite our worship band to come on up as we commemorate this event.